Good afternoon, everyone. It's More Good News Wednesday here on Office Hours, and I got more good news for you and me. We don't call it hump day anymore. There's nothing to get over, get around, get through, get lied to, manipulate, cheat, or deny. We simply supply you with more good news, and I got double doses today, a dose of positivity with Mikey D. That's Mike Diamond, the author of A Dose of Positivity, and of course, the other extraordinary author, Coach celebrity himself michael unbroken here to co-host with me office hours on more good news wednesday welcome gentlemen it's a pleasure man my favorite day of the week let's do this it is my favorite day as well don't tell my other hosts on the other days but i have a special place on fired up wednesdays it's a different genre different energy and we're gonna go with that today with matt cooper who's here he's the ceo of skillshare Skillshare skillshare.com and uh Look, there's a lot going on, Matt, in the career world today. Uh, there certainly has never been something like this. In my experience of people, uh, big companies are laying off thousands while they're hiring as well. And uh, uh, you as a CEO as well probably know the different trends better than even I do on uh, the skills, knowledge, and desires uh, and how they've evolved and changed. Uh, working now as CEO of the world's largest online learning community uh, at Skillshare and uh, understanding how important it is to know our skills, our knowledge, and our desire. Why don't we start there, Matt, with you know understanding what skills uh, are those that are most marketable and what Skillshare is do- doing with the community that you guys have built? Yeah. Yeah. So our, uh, our primary focus is on creative skills in particular. So design, illustration, photography, and, and we span both personal and professional. Um, so on the, you know, so we're a two-sided platform model on the supply side, the teachers in the classes, we've got about 8,000 experts from all over the world teaching about 30,000 classes. Um, on the student side, it's an all you can eat subscription model. You know, we, you get access to every class and every teacher we've got for, uh, one bargain basement price, uh, uh, depending on where you are. Um, and so, you know, I think our business is sitting at the intersection of a lot of really creative, uh, little, a lot of interesting trends. You've got the creator economy, the gig economy, you've got streaming, media, subscription, ed tech. Um, and so to your point, we see a lot of what people are looking for and where people are headed. And um, we'll see topics and skills pop up from our teacher community long before we would even think to go produce that content. So um, as you would probably imagine, generative AI is a hot topic right now um, that, um, it, you know, so AI and then a lot of the um, sort of new technologies around that specific to the creative world, uh, we're seeing a lot of search traffic, a lot of teacher activity. Um, so, you know, I think right now you can't, you can't escape it. And whether it's good or evil, I think everybody's still trying to figure out. And the answer is it's probably a little bit of both, depending on where you sit. Um, but uh, that's certainly been a hot topic lately. So, Matt, how did you make that pivot? Because a lot of people are, are schooled incorrectly and not educated. And you've made this beautiful thing about going after the creative people mm-hmm. because they get bogged down in a school system and come out and they're so frustrated and they spend time just trying to find themselves. So what made you make that pivot to really help the creative creative people? Yeah, we had sort of organically developed a an expertise in in the creative topics over time, over the first sort of eight years, six, seven, eight years of our existence. When I joined in 2016, I was actually pushing us to do more in business and tech. 
And I, and I think at the time, it just felt like an opportunity to take a model that was working and expand it into different verticals. Um, any of these horizontal marketplaces, it's not one monolithic mono marketplace. It's a bunch of verticals stuck together. So as we pushed into business, anything that was adjacent to creative, like marketing, did really well. Um, my finance and accounting class, crickets were chirping. Um, you know, so same thing with tech. If it was front-end web skills, which is a logical bleed over from creative, did really well. We weren't going to be launching Cisco certifications anytime soon. So what we sort of realized at the time is you can't be all things to all people. Hard to be a dessert topping and a floor wax. You kind of have to pick one. Um, so we said, all right, is the creative market big enough for us to build a a big company and a successful company and a global, hopefully one day public company? And any way you cut it, the answer was yes. There are 5 billion people in the world who have either a creative profession or a creative passion. And that felt like a pretty good place for us to start. Love that, Matt. Um, as someone who's used Skillshare before, I, I've always liked the platform. It's one of those that kind of stands above the rest, um, not, not to give you all the kudos in the world. There's so much competition, but man, I'm so curious, what has allowed you guys to differentiate yourself against the competition mm -hmm. to be able to have one of the biggest online learning platforms on planet earth, serving a tremendous, almost a million members? Like, dude, that's unbelievable. Yeah. How? Yeah, I think the, I think the focus has actually been a big part of that. You know, it's, it is hard to be all things to all people. And so, trying to do tech and creative and business and and really understand your market and who you're talking to and how do you talk to them, what language they use, what do they care about, where do they hang out, where do they go? Um, having that focus is really important. Um, and again, you got to pick a niche that is narrow enough to be the best in the world at it, but big enough to build a big business. And I think we've sort of threaded the needle there. Um, there are bigger horizontal platforms like Udemy that serve everyone and have a much broader purview that creative focus has become our moat. Like no one in the planet can do creative as well as we can. Um, so I think that was a big part of it. I think the the open platform on the teacher side, um, in theory, anyone who meets our criteria and follows our guidelines and meets that bar our users expect can teach on Skillshare. Uh, and so you end up with a depth and breadth and vibrancy of content that if we were to be sitting in a production studio trying to figure out what to make next, we can't keep up with 8,000 teachers trying to figure out what their, what that creative audience wants. So, you know, harnessing the power of, of the crowd, um, but also doing it in a very structured, deliberate way, I think has been a, a key, key success point for us. And with the two-sided marketplace, Matt, do you find that as well, you have so many teachers, I think over 11,000 teachers uh, or 11,000 plus teachers, do you find that the teachers end up, uh, being not only uh, students in some other aspects because they have exposure to other classes, but they also become sales people for you by promoting the platform, their classes and the other classes that uh, they find value in since there's so many different areas uh, that you get as a all you can eat uh, perceived value. I think it's exponential. Do, are those a critical component to your growth? Yeah, and teacher referrals are a pretty big part of our our overall sort of acquisition strategy. And I think the it is mixed. I mean, a lot of a a lot of the teachers who are coming to us love to love to teach. They want to share their expertise with the world. They produce amazing classes and content. They aren't necessarily relentless self promoters. 
so that is some of the, and that's a, you know, it's a different thing. It's a totally different skill and not one, you know, a lot of people, everybody wants a commission. No one wants to be in sales. You know, it's uh, so it's hard. It's a hard part of the job. So I think a lot of our value is bringing students to the teacher's door and, we have spent a lot of time and effort and resources and capital over the years building our brand and building our network. And um, so we certainly uh, we have a lot of teachers who make good money off off of their existing sort of off Skillshare um, following and bringing people on. And we've had a lot of bigger name, you know, YouTube um, stars that use Skillshare, use YouTube as their top of funnel. But then they bring people over to Skillshare to monetize because it's it's just a much more effective monetization model versus ad-driven models. Matt, so here's important for people to understand. You said you keep referring to trying to be everything to everybody. And that confuses a lot of entrepreneurs or people because they look at Amazon and they look at all these companies and like bigger is better. And what you're really refining is be specific, find yeah. your niche and narrow in, which is really brilliant. But when you were going through this learning phase, you as an entrepreneur and you creating this, how did you get into that mindset when things start? Because you said you had to pivot yeah. from the finance. How did you retrain yourself to like, okay, I've got to pivot and then refocus my energy? Yeah, I think it's, you know, you got to focus on what's working and what's not. And again, I came in with a very clear view of we need to go expand into business and tech. And after you run into the brick wall a couple of times, it, you start to think maybe there's a better way to do this. And, and it was, you know, credit to the team, you know, the, the rest of the team saying, Hey, Hey dummy, like <laughs> look at what's working and look at what's not. And, you know, I was like, yeah, you're right. It's kind of hard to argue with the data and, you know, everything that was working was in creative and everything we were struggling in was not. So at some point you take yes for an answer and you focus on what's working. Mm. That's, a, that's a great point. Um, I think this is a broad stroke question, obviously, um, maybe even loaded, but I, I feel like I'd be remiss not to ask it. What is the future of online education and consideration of AI and the changes that we're seeing in social right now? Yeah, I mean, that's a big one. I, I think the, you know, if you break it, a lot of the focus right now is around content creation. And you've got companies like, like Duolingo has been leveraging AI and machine learning to create content for a long time. And they've done it masterfully well i mean that's they're they're an absolute machine um a lot of our value is in the teacher personality and their unique perspective and kind of what they bring to the table um so i think in models where it is a pure content production model they produce all their content in-house that's where ai can be extremely valuable and a real disruptor and accelerator um I think for, and, you know, uh, Khan Academy was one of the launch partners with ChatGPT. And uh, so there are definitely platforms out there just doing an amazing job. I think for us, again, the teacher personality and the, that unique teacher perspective is such a big part of what we offer and the value that our students get. Like they love that teacher. They want that cult of personality around that teacher. Um, that's something that's hard to replicate through AI. So we're looking at it at Skillshare is more of like, how do we give our teachers better tools? How do we help them? get great content to market faster? How do we give them better data on who their followers are and who their students are and where do they pick up? Where do they drop off? Like, I think we can give them better in data, data and insights through those tools. But um, I, there's no doubt, I think for a lot of traditional education, you know, there's, we're just going to get a ton of leverage out of this new tool. 
Yeah, it's a, definitely a powerful servant if you use it as such. And those that think it's a master are going to, as they did in Web 1, 2, and 2 and a half, they're going to fail miserably if they try to use it as their master. And uh, it's really, really interesting on the AI side as well. I take a last mile analogy, which I see uh, with Skillshare, uh, that the efficiencies are all, even in Amazon, uh, Mike, right? It's all about getting it to the last mile but it's the last mile that sells. And uh, at Skillshare, it's that last mile, that emotional connection, the right. uh, innate essence of skills, knowledge, and desire of a certain person teaching passionately what they really know about, with the skills they know about, and uh, the desires that they have that make a difference. Uh, anybody can get to the last mile with technology, AI, efficiencies, but is how you deliver that last mile that makes the difference and especially in education. So I think that Skillshare's superpower is that last mile with a huge two-sided marketplace and extreme expertise and the appropriate niches as you suggested is both of us would have thought it's the business acumen that would have sold, but instead it's the co-creation collaboration that really sells at Skillshare. And, uh, the numbers speak for themselves. They don't lie. Matt Cooper doing a great job as CEO of Skillshare. Skillshare.com. I'm sure after this, the two mics and I will be loading up classes on Skillshare. I want to do a, a prompt class. Uh, I, I'm an old bullion language searching guy, and uh, my expertise in searching since 1992 over uh, those 31 years, the key is going to be who puts in the, the correct prompt to take advantage of AI and the generative uh, content that we can create Matt Cooper, thanks for taking the time. Please come back. We all got shows. We want more of you. Uh, obviously, you're sitting in a great place to help so many people. Thank you for doing such a great job. Yeah, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Thanks, great man. job, Matt. Thank you. All right, I got a treat for the double mics. We got Tom here, Tom Palladino, waiting in the wings. There he is, the researcher at... Uh, Scalar Light, and I hope I pronounced that correctly. That's uh, correct. Yeah, scalarlight.com. And um, incredible quantum uh, results uh, there, which is pretty exciting to all three of us. So I thought maybe you could give us a little bit of background on the incredible work that you're doing at Scalar Light. Hi, David. How are you? Amazing. I'm Thanks for coming on. All right. And gentlemen, hi, Mike. Um, I'm working with Scalar Energy. This is Tesla Energy. These are not electrical instruments. These are unique instruments, custom-built instruments that allow me to work in the non-physical realm. Scale energy is non-physical. It's not electricity. This energy instrument is broadcasting an incredible amount of energy. I'll give the audience a, a, an indication of how much energy is coming from these instruments. I'm holding in my hand a fluorescent tube, and there's so much scalar energy coming off of those Tesla coils that I can illuminate the light bulbs. Okay. This is the free energy that Nikola Tesla was was trying to introduce to the world. So, <laughs> Look so at this, Mike. <laughs> this, this is not yeah, this, this is not the electromagnetic spectrum. Here's another indication. This is a fluorescent tube. The free energy in my laboratory will illuminate the light bulb. Okay. So, cool. so what are we getting at? These are scalar energy instruments that access another dimension. This is not electromagnetic. It's another dimension, which is 
essentially non-physical quantum energy. Now, I've developed a technique with these instruments in which I work with photographs of people. If I were to place my photograph inside this instrument, my photograph would receive that energy, similar to the light bulb being illuminated. Why? Because my photograph has my signature. So I only work with photographs that carry the signature or the quantum energy of a person. So this instrument allows me to work with people around the world through their quantum character, not through their biological character. This is non-physical quantum energy. This is an information system. Now, I've developed this instrument so that it can identify a microbe, a, a bacterium, a virus, etc. Now, I'm holding in my hand a photograph of the herpes virus. This is a magnified photograph. Do not of raise your hand, guys. I don't want to know how familiar you are with this virus. It's common. It's common. <laughs> now, it's for life. I, I know that. <laughs> when I place this photograph inside the instrument, the instrument will look at the DNA, will look at the molecular structure of the herpes virus, and then break down that molecular structure, disassemble the DNA of the herpes virus. Now, this is a sharing of information. So I'm going to share the information from the herpes virus to my quantum field. It's informational. It's not a biological process. It's a sharing of information, just as we're having a, a conference call by way of computer. You're not in my laboratory. I'm not in your office. We're sharing our image. So if I were to place my photograph inside the instrument, again, my instrument is receiving scalar energy. And then if I place the photograph of the herpes virus next to my photograph, the two energy fields are sharing. There's a communication between the energy field of herpes and my energy field. And that arrangement would allow the detection of herpes the virus in my quantum field and would instruct the herpes virus to fall apart. So this instrument not only can identify the herpes virus in my quantum field, in my informational plane, but also negate the molecular bonds that hold together the herpes virus. This is the straightforward technique for me to identify a virus and break it apart. It's so mind-blowing. It's so amazing. I mean, I, I, I dealt with solfeggio frequencies to heal myself when yeah. I, I went through stomach surgery. And my doctor thought I was crazy. And I laid in solfeggio frequencies for like six hours a day. And literally, he said, if you don't remove your, your colon, you, you'll die of colon, colon cancer. And I, the solfeggio frequencies healed my body. They physically healed my body. And he thought I was out of my mind. How did you discover all this stuff? Because it's so not, it's not in a school book. You can't, you've got to do your right. own research and everyone's right. going to think you're a psycho and everyone's going to try and I shut found, you down. I found okay. Tom on Skillshare, by the way. Yeah, yeah. I found what? I found Tom, Tom on Skillshare. <laughs> <laughs> That's, That's hilarious. Such a 
Yeah. Thanks for yeah. breaking up the conversation, Melsa. I'm trying to get That's my job. I am not making peace on you, man. I'm stuck but, on her piece. Like, Tom is like, you're yeah. just so... I've got, do you have any, first of all, do you have any books out? No. Uh, and the reason yeah. being, uh, much of this uh, technology is guarded. I learned from Nikola Tesla. And there was another inventor, an American inventor, Galen Hieronymus. Now, okay. I have a website which I've written three, 400 articles, but I don't know how well they're received right yet. I'm the only inventor with this technique. In other words, these instruments are so unique, custom-built instruments. I'm the only researcher, um, and thus far I have to introduce this to mankind, my discoveries. So I don't attach myself to a university, a think tank, etc. So uh, Mr. Meltzer has been kind enough to allow me access to his audience to present my groundbreaking so discoveries. All right, so yeah. So you actually, Nikola Tesla was, that was my question. You had to study someone like that an indirect mentor mentor mikey jump in go thank you yeah uh the the thing that comes to mind you know i i think that when i exist in the world and i feel connection to energy and people i go anything is plausible that's kind of how i look at the world it's how you're driving down the highway and four lanes over you look to the right and of all the moments that could exist this person in the other car looks at you and so i'm like energy is obviously a part of this quantum field and the energy that we're in brings us all into connection like we are right now but but what i'm curious about here is how does this help treat the, the human body, right? Because we have something that is very physical and very present in right. this world. So go a little bit deeper into where you began on this because I still don't understand. Okay, all right. So this is an information system. Now, if what I am achieving is true and accurate with these photographs in this quantum field, then I contend that we could work with people in the flesh. Now, let me say this. Everybody that I've ever worked with, with this capacity, after I work with them through their photograph, everybody has told me that they no longer have a viral load for herpes. So if this is true, then people do have a quantum field. And I am eradicating the herpes virus from the quantum field. Tom, I have a question, and I hope it brings clarity uh, because obviously this isn't my first exposure to understanding this being a quantum healer myself studying uh, in india at least having some familiarity uh, with the cellular construct compared to a quantum construct uh, which is why mike was able to heal himself as well but how does it know how to disassemble the virus comparatively to the rest of the organism Right, right. Thank you. So this instrument is reverse phase, meaning I've designed it to negate the molecular bonds of a virus. And how do I instruct it? Without any human reasoning, I instruct it through a photograph. So the photograph provides the instruction for the instrument. So this is, a, if you will, a guaranteed approach in which the photograph allows the instrument to send the energy of the herpes virus and to negate, break down those molecular bonds of the herpes virus. It does what you tell it to do. And the, the test results I have really quickly, for instance, here's a PCR test of somebody that I work with. After being infected with the herpes virus for over 10 years, this individual tells me that there's no viral load for herpes. Now this is common with my work. 
All right, so this is some deep Joe Dispenser stuff. Like, <laughs> it is. I, 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 I trust me, that's why I have Tom on. I, yeah. You know, I'm not going to, not everybody's right. going to be, you know, the, what was the trash guy when I'm like, that's a stupid idea? Yeah. <laughs> it's worth millions so, now. All right, all right. So, yeah, Tom, exactly. so, so here we go. So, yeah, he has a service to take out trash. And then I'm like, why would anyone pay you to take out their trash? And then he explained to me, people own, you know, hundreds of units and they're out there in their suits and you know they could actually it's well worth it for people who own a hundred units to take out the trash when they're airbnbs but nonetheless go ahead mikey i gave you some time to think about being intelligent no, no, right. uh, so on a quantum level right so let's just say you want to communicate with someone in another field yes. in like in another state in another environment yes. and you have their picture and you put them in that machinery and you want to right. send them po positive energy or healing through that machine, you're saying that if you have their picture, yes. that frequency in the quantum field can send that energy to them physically. Correct. Correct. You think you're thinking in a linear sense, Mike. So it seems unbelievable. And if we understand the quantum field, no, you know moving. why? Because I'll tell you why. I I know if I sit in a meditation, and I am connected to that person. I know I can send a frequency to them wherever they are the world. And then at any point of time, they will be like, it's so weird. I've been thinking about you, but they don't know that I've focused my energy in the quantum to think about them and send an energy. I do that all the time. Or if I want to attract, I make sure I put that out in the field at such a high frequency that that person receives it. It's love. It's never negative. It's always love and positive. And they're like, oh, dude, it's so crazy. You know what I'm saying? So I, I, I understand. Is that why I think about you every morning, bro? Yeah, and then I smile. <laughs> I, I, I check my Instagram. I check my Instagram. Like, oh, Mike's awake. I'm like, oh, look at. And then he stopped doing it, and I stopped thinking about it. Oh, but you know why? Because everyone was. I had all these messages for days. Like I was just like, oh. But my point is that what people need to understand is, is through this positive frequency of taking that picture, that picture in the quantum field will pick up that energy and put it out there. This all is right, a con this is a consciousness instrument. Scalar energy is non-physical. It's consciousness. It's universal consciousness. This is what I'm tapping into. It's not electricity. This is the future. The, this is the free energy that we want. This is Tesla energy. And this what? is my my projection. We will eventually have free energy by way of scalar energy, which is from the sun and the stars. When, when are you going to take it to St. Jude? When are you going to take it to a hospital? So we can get uh, the amplification of this mechanism. It makes sense to me. Uh, help I, me out. I, I'm one researcher. See, this is the drawback. I'm only one person. This is why I'm on your platform, Mr. Meltzer. I need help to promulgate my discoveries. I need help. We got to get the right doctor, guys. This is incredible stuff. Uh, Tom, thank you so much. And not just for what you're doing, thinking outside the box. Uh, First, they laugh at you, scoff at you, and make fun of you. Then they applaud you, just like they did Tesla, by the way. Uh, and they stole his shit, so hopefully they won't steal yours. Uh, um, uh, that's what I'm hoping as well. So uh, everyone, check out scalarlight.com. Tom Palladino, the new Tesla of our era, creating quantum healing uh, at its core, which is super impressive and interesting. Love to have you back. Let me see what we can do between the three of us to at least give you an opportunity to share that idea with some, uh, you know, true, true healers and, and see how we can get uh, some funding behind this. Cause 
obviously this may be a, a revolutionary evolutionary unbelievable technology uh that can even save the world someday so thanks tom for joining us gentlemen thank you that's so awesome amazing wow. i know like i when i met that guy it was like when i met this you know the zinger guys i told you about the 3d printer that but yeah. you know but that stuff's you know raised 600 million and everybody laughed at him he's a yale engineer his son's a yale engineer and i got the special vip pass to to look at a cell that prints cars for the biggest luxury car brands they beat they beat the test uh time test on a track six seconds wasn't 0.6 seconds six seconds uh in a car that was manufactured in two weeks and tested and put on a track uh, they're they're fulfilling parts for companies that you and I know the biggest luxury brands this you know two million dollar cars and they can print them out. Uh, wh what I saw at Singer like what we just saw there, I didn't see in movies. It was beyond you know they talk about the scary part about today in technology is it surpasses our imagination. That's what I think Scalar Light is. That's what I think Singer Cars is. Um, but I'm going to bring you guys back uh, into the realm of reality with carparts.com because this is not going to exceed our expectations. <laughs> our, I'm sorry, exceed our imagination. It will exceed our expectation. Exactly. David Menon is here, CEO of carparts.com. Extremely successful company, as you guys know, um, and doing things in a little different way to create more efficiencies, effectiveness, and statistical success. So, uh, David, welcome to our crazy wacky wednesday the more good news wednesday edition of office hours thanks for having me guys good to see you great to see you hopefully you've been watching some of the crazy shit today uh so we're, we're, we're coming back down to earth now which is really nice uh, i was trying to watch and then i got sucked into a quantum field so now i'm back <laughs> well i sent some in information and i extracted all of the misunderstandings out of each of your brains uh, so we should be fine now. Uh, <laughs> just a dose of positivity. I want to extract the negativity, the interference out of everyone. Uh, carparts.com, uh, obviously extremely successful. The domain itself is probably worth more than the three of us. Uh, <laughs> I can imagine. Um, but you guys have had double-digit growth uh, for 13 consecutive, more, I think, now even, in doubling the size of your business in just three years. What have you uh, attributed to the consistent growth in a very competitive space? Yeah, no, great question. You know, carparts.com, we've done, I think we've done a lot of things right. You know, you called it out, 13 consecutive quarters of, of double-digit growth. You know, I, I think, you know, what we've done is really a laser focus on, on discipline, on execution, on operational excellence. Uh, we built an incredible team. We've deployed a lot of capital to build what we think is an exceptional business, and we just block and tackle. So, you know, there's a lot of noise and distraction out there these days, and we just execute block and tackle. So as a CEO, um, a lot of people don't get the work that you have to put in. You said the key thing, discipline, block and tackle, simplicity. How do you mo motivate your team to stay disciplined and stick to the basics of block and tackle? when everyone you know thinks they've got the next idea you have the basics you get it down you keep drilling it that consistency how do you as a ceo keep people motivated like that yeah i think i try to do two things and and you call that out because it, it's so true it's so easy to get pulled into 
you know, sexy stuff and new projects. And the reality is, you know, maximizes, maximizing return on investment and investing capital for shareholders, it's, it's mostly simple. You just have to stay focused on execution. So the first thing that I do is I try to do it myself, remove all the distractions, spend as much time as I can with the front line and leading from the front. And I like to think that if I do something, there is going to be a tendency for the teams to, to replicate that behavior. And number two is I look for distractions. I look for opportunities where uh, the teams are losing focus. And I come in and I just kind of recalibrate. And I say, hey, this is the core business. This is the strategy. We have three or four big strategic initiatives. How does that tie into those, those initiatives? And so ultimately, we start with the vision, then our strategy, then initiatives. And everything that we do has to tie back to those initiatives. David, we live in a time right now where we are seeing the impact of not only the backside of COVID and inflation, but we are seeing tons and tons of e-commerce companies, small business, medium-sized businesses go under. Um, we are watching e-commerce revenue go down and rates that are unforeseen. How have you guys been able to continue to grow? Yeah, no, a great call out. I think number one thing is you have to separate the e-commerce companies that have positive unit economics and those that are negative unit economics. And by that, I mean, do, when you acquire the customer for the first time, are you cash flow positive and can you reinvest those dollars into growing the business? Or are you need, do you need to subsidize the first transaction in hope of capturing the customer to come back and make money on the second or third transaction? So for us, we're in the first camp. We have positive unit economics. We make money on the first transaction. And then number two is, what do you do with the residual dollars from the first transaction? How are you reinvesting those dollars to delivering even a better customer experience to give an incentive for the customer to come back? You obviously have you know, studied the KPIs. You understand uh, the strategies in a mathematical way. Looking at the data, which has been a common theme, uh, data information for Skillshare, for Scalar Light. Um, but what seems to be hidden underneath your success beyond a very clean strategy and execution model and esteemed academia of uh, training, I can tell, uh, is your emotional intelligence. So I was curious uh, what the values or mission statement of the company is that probably fuels your machinery uh, that has been built and tested and disciplined with a firm strategy. Yeah. So, you know, we started with our vision, then we came up with a strategy, and then we asked ourselves, what are the core values? Wh who are we? What type of company do we want to be? And then how do we make those simple, digestible, and remember them on a daily basis? And so we came up with three things. Number one, safety first. Number two, customer focus. And number three, operational excellence. And so I have to interrupt you. I'm just very glad that you didn't tell me make a lot of money, help a lot of people and have a lot of fun. Uh, I was going to be like, come on, dude, give me a break. Anyway, those sound like really three great principles. Go ahead. <laughs> no, listen, you know, we're an auto parts company and we sell uh, quality parts and we want to keep our customers safe and we want to keep our employees safe. So for me, safety has always been my number one concern. Uh, number two, customer focus. It's not the money will come. Building an exceptional money, building an exceptional business will come but you have to put the customer in the center of everything you do. So customer obsessed, customer focus, and delivering an outstanding customer experience and giving the customers a reason to come back. And then operational excellence. I like to think that how you do anything is how you do everything. 
It's financial discipline. It's operational discipline. It's continuous improvement. It's trying to figure out a way to always get better. Just had that speech with Jakey Bakey, so I'm glad you reiterated it. I hope he's watching. Go ahead. So, Dave, where did this this success model that is now built into your subconscious mind and is now a learned behavior that you you said key thing that people won't say you do you lead by example that's a true leader you you are a tour guide not a boss that's a you know a travel agent go go do it and then yeah it's wrong where was this modeled into your dna to know that this is the blueprint for success you know, I, I think sometimes people tend to over overthink thing, overthink things and just reinvent the wheel. You know, this model, I didn't come up with anything. I'm just replicating what I've seen in other companies and other leaders. You know, you just wake up early, you get after it, you don't quit, you focus on the customer, you lead from the front. That's a proven model. Now, it's it's going to be tough sometimes, but you just you go out there and you execute and I, I see that resonating with our teams. And so it's been working for us. So I just keep reinvesting and, and doing it. So, you know, we came up with this open office concept where no executives have offices and everyone sits in the middle, like in the trenches. We're there to build an exceptional business. We're there to service our customers. And I want to be in the middle out there and just executing. Yeah, that's that's powerful, man. And as somebody who's led teams since I was 18 years old, the number one thing I've learned in leadership is to lead first. And, you know, one of the problems with leading first, David, as you know, is like you are going to make mistakes. You are going to do disastrous things that are hopefully not catastrophic to the business. Uh, but but you may find yourself with your back against the wall. So when you're in those moments, especially with a company so big and doubling, the, the speed often kills success in businesses as as they grow, how have you guys been able to manage the speed at which growth has occurred without crippling the business? Yeah, th there's definitely a balance between speed and accuracy. And, you know, we like to think of quality and quantity. And, you know, Dave talked about metrics. So we think about a metric and then the counter metric. You know, there's, there's this push and pull. So, you know, for me, I'm a first time CEO. I know I'm going to make some mistake and it's okay. We like to think about risk. We like to think about downside versus up upside. And for new opportunities, new strategies, new markets, we like to find opportunities that have asymmetrical risk. Am I risking $1, but how much can I make? If I'm risking $1 to make a dollar, that's probably not a good proposition. If I'm risking $1 to make $100, that's a great opportunity. The other thing is how many bets can we afford to make as a company? And how big should those bets be? So I don't have the opportunity, the time or luxury to make hundred bets. We have to stay focused around three, four, five big bets, look for asymmetrical risk, dedicate the resources and capabilities to make them work, and then eventually one or two, hopefully they pay off. David Mignon, man. Wow. I got a quick question, then we'll let you go. We got to do our takeaways of the day with my dynamic duo, but I do like the scene here with two Davids and two Mikes. Obviously, two of us are much more better looking uh, than the I other two. Uh, I don't know which ones. I don't know which ones. But more importantly, it's also obvious uh, that two of us are far more intelligent uh, than the other two. Um, but more importantly, I just have to know where the hell did you go to school, man? I want to know what school you went to. I, I went to USC in LA, but you know, listen. Oh, you I, just ruined my day. You mean the <laughs> team that lost the team that lost the Cotton Bowl to Tulane? That 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 USC? 
that team, but that's okay. Listen, the school is also the school of books and the school of life and just looking out there of what's working, what's not working. And Did you go to, to business school or own. just undergrad? I went to undergrad and I got a master's in tax law and now I sell auto parts. So what do you know? At USC, but the tax law masters as well. I did, yes, I did both. Oh my goodness, your parents must be broke. Good thing you bought that domain. <laughs> I, I, you're the rookie of the year when it comes to office hours, as far as being a first time CEO. You are a true leader, an intelligent follower, extreme academic understanding of business, but combined with the reconciliation of emotional intelligence that I have very rarely seen. And I know I'm teasing USC because Matt Liner, it's one of my uh, good partners and good friends, and I always like to rib him just because he told me uh, when I told him I went to Tulane Law, he's like, where's Tulane? So I had to call him when we beat him in the Cotton Bowl and said, I bet you know where it is now, uh, <laughs> but go ahead. The Trojans are okay in my book, and you just move them up a notch for office hours because you're one of uh, the greatest guests. We had three high-caliber guests today, and just the cleanup hitter, uh, our, our friend here, is just blown, blown me away at CEO of Carts carparts.com david min yon please come back and join us once again we have many other shows uh that we would love for you to come on uh, tv podcast etc so please reach out to all three of us thank you for joining us what a great education and a great job thanks guys good to see you good thanks, to david. see you take care dave all right two davids two mics now we're two to one now we're back to even on the intelligence side of things uh, and the looks uh, but more importantly, takeaway of the day, I'm just blown away by my three guests. Totally amazing. Which one of my favorite mics wants to go first? Oh, that mic, yeah, are you right? I don't mind. Um, you know, it was very interesting. Like today, it was uh, three great hosts, three dopes as uh, co-hosts, right? <laughs> yeah. um, so I like what I resonated from all three was, you know, don't try to be everything to everyone. Yeah. Um, have the courage to stand alone. Um, that's what I really got from our second guest. You know what I mean? And then be someone that's in the trenches and walks the talk. And if you can inspire by action, that's real influence. Love it. Yeah. Like you for broke it. Man, for me, it, it, having two incredible CEOs on as someone who is in a CEO position with my company, I'm always trying to understand better how to look at metrics, how to look at data, but those only tell part of the story. And so the big takeaway for me is how do you show up as a leader? How do you execute the game plan? How do you, when you are standing on the pulpit and delivering to your team, to your audience, how do you do it in a way that helps project and propel you into what is possible? And, and I felt, very, very strongly today that when you have great leaders and to what Mike just said, people are willing to stand out on their own. You become the change maker because if you're not saying something or doing something that is opposite of what everyone else is, you're just going to fit into the crowd. And so that's my biggest takeaway today. Great takeaways, fellas. And it's a blessing to be with both of you. Mine is a counterbalance of faith and data. Um, if you look at all three leaders, uh, all of them have great faith um, in what other people may have thought would be impossible. They're definitely laughed at, scoffed at, and made fun of. It's interesting because, um, you know, our first CEO uh, had faith, Matt Cooper, about the business model uh, supplied by business uh, skills. And 
he utilized data to change his mind, still faithful in the business, but open-minded, uh, although he was faithful in, in the success of the business, open-minded to the data he was receiving. And th then we have uh, our second guest who's all faith and data and nobody else has any faith in it, right? <laughs> He's laughed at scoff at because it just is unbelievable. The technology surpasses our imagination, just like Tesla's uh, technology surpassed the imagination of his time as well. And so I stay, well, and, and just so you know, Einstein uh, was ostracized after he created E equals MC squared, known as the icon of genius, Einstein. You ask anyone on earth, you say Einstein, they say genius, you say genius, they say Einstein. And people laughed at him, scoffed at him, and made fun of him when he said, no, no, really, equals MC squared. That That's from the physics community. So I don't laugh at Tom, uh, but I have faith, and I'm looking at the data. And of course, uh, David was a great example of the same, that you know he combines his extreme data background and his metric background with plain faith, faith of safety, customer experience, you know, it's really a great counterintuitive and counter relationship between faith and data. And when do we look at the data and have faith in the data? And when do we have faith in our imagination? So uh, I have faith in both of you. Dose of Positivity, one of my favorite books ever written by Mike Diamond. Mike Unbroken, one of my favorite people on earth. I'm lucky to be like the Mikes and have them here every Wednesday. More Good News Wednesday. If you want more good news... Come join us on Office Hours with Mike Diamond, Michael Unbroken. You can check them out. Thank you, boys. I will see you next week from Bali. <laughs> Talk right. to you later. Bye, brother. You got it. Take care. All right, everyone. I got to jump. I'm doing a keynote for uh, the Launch Boom people here in about 12 minutes. So you can catch me there with Launch Boom. Last keynote before I leave to see and then Bali, then Econ. Email me if you want to join me any of those places. David at emailtoe.com. We got a great VIP dinner, stage podcast booth there at VCon in Indianapolis on Friday. Come join me, Jim Quick, Austin Eckler, Michael Chair, John Dill, Dan Fleischman, Jeff Fetzer, Jeff Hoffman, just to name a few. I think Tom Billu is there too. David at emailtoe.com. Get your free book. I'll sign it, send it to you, pay for shipping. Email me, David at emailtoe.com. Remember, go out there, let someone know they're not alone. Be more interested than interesting. Be kind to your future self and do good deeds. I will see everybody soon. Thank you.